Our text for today is from our first reading from Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to be putting on any verses or anything on the screens today. We've got a new system. I don't know how to work it. I'm not using the screens. But we are going to be digging in deeply into this very rich, theologically rich passage from the Word of God. I do ask you, exhort you, to open up God's Word. If you have a worship folder, use that. If there's a Bible near you, use that. Bible app on your phone, use that. And turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and in our church Bibles, that's found on page 979. Page 979. And as we turn to God's Word this morning, let me begin by asking you, Have you ever wondered what it would be like to actually be engaged in a battle in a war? Now, some of you here today know exactly what that is like, for you yourself have served this country in that way. But I, as a young boy, I remember I would look through my father's yearbook from basic training at Fort Knox and think about what that would be like. And as I've gotten older, as I watch movies or documentaries on World War I or II or Korea or the Vietnam, I wonder what would it be like to be in the midst of a battle with actual ammunition, someone out there, an enemy who was seeking my destruction, what it was like for those young men as they landed on Omaha Beach and off those transport vehicles and there onto the sand of the beach with all the machine gun fire going all around them and death and destruction. What would that be like? How would you face a moment like that? Well, what Paul is showing us here in our passage from Ephesians chapter 6 is that though most all of us here today have not engaged in any kind of real flesh and blood battle, but yet he is trying to show us, to show you that all of us, if we are in Christ Jesus and followers of the living Christ, that every single day and every single moment of our life, there is a supernatural battle that is taking place. There is a spiritual war, spiritual warfare all around us, all the time, every single day. And the most frightening thing is, is that most of us, and I confess this of myself, most of us are just blissfully unaware of the battle, of the warfare, of the danger. And Paul begins this section, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, if you've been around the church long enough, you know that any time when a pastor gets to the end of his sermon and he says, finally, in conclusion, that means there's at least 20 more minutes to go. 
That's kind of what's happening here with Paul. Finally, there's this whole long section. But this word finally is very important because in this word finally, what Paul means is he's saying finally because of everything that I have just said throughout this entire letter that I have written, because all of that is true, finally you have to be aware of something vitally important. Finally, because of everything that I've just said. Now, what has Paul just said? Well, that's been our focus for the last two weeks. We won't go back into all of that. But essentially, what we find here in this letter is really the mission of our Father Lutheran Church of helping ordinary people to know and to share this extraordinary life in Christ. And two weeks ago, I answered the question, what is this extraordinary life in Christ that we talk about at our Father? Extraordinary life. And this extraordinary life is the life that you were meant to have. It's the life you were designed and created. It's what you're actually longing for, whether you realize it or not. It's this extraordinary life that we had all the way back at the very beginning in the garden, perfect communion and the love of God, perfect communion and love amongst one another, and all of this world was perfect in every way. And it's that life, that extraordinary life, that we lost. And that we're actually seeking and longing for. And it is that extraordinary life in Christ that we will have finally one day again because of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the reigning and ruling and the promises of Christ to return to this world. One day we will finally have that life in its fullness once again. Perfect communion, the love of God, all people together in one and all of this broken world healed and restored and made right. What we lost in the fall, we will have one day again when Christ returns. But here is again the mission. We can begin to have that extraordinary life even now. And that's what Paul is saying real quick back in Ephesians chapter 1, the end of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14 where he says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the quote, guarantee. And that word guarantee, we looked out two weeks ago, very important word. It literally means in the Greek that the Holy Spirit is our deposit. It's the first installment of the life that is to come. Do you believe that? That already you have and is available to available to you, the life that is to come, the first installment of that can be yours even now. To know the love of God deeply in your life and to know it more and more and to share that love. That's what Pastor Micah talked about last week and to share it out with the world. What we lost is what we will one day have and it's what you can begin to have, the first installment even now. And Paul here is saying, because of all of that, because that's true, finally, you need to be aware that there are spiritual forces of evil, a spiritual army of evil that wants to take that life away from you that wants to take your joy, that wants to take that peace and leave you in darkness and sorrow and misery. 
forevermore. That's what Paul is saying here. He says again, verse 10, if you're following along, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You say, whoa, Paul, you're just kind of going overboard here. Why are you repeating all of these things over and over again? He's trying to drive home the point of how serious and how dangerous this actually is. Again, it's rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, a spiritual army of evil. And again, he's emphasizing how serious this is in verse 12, where he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against these authorities and powers and these forces of evil. We're wrestling. Now that word in the Greek is important because this is very specific language that Paul is using. This word wrestle is speaking about hand-to-hand -hand combat. You can only imagine engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat in the first century against a Roman centurion. But even in this, they're not even the swords are gone and the shields are gone. You notice it's wrestling, that you are wrestling with the enemy down on the ground, in the dirt, in the mud, and it is very close and intimate and it is desperate, clawing at one another. You see the struggle. And you might know the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, where he says, What? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he would devour. And if you're like me, on an average Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you are blissfully unaware of the danger. But what's the form of this attack? I mean, what does this spiritual warfare actually look like? Well, Paul's showing that to us here too. Look at the end of verse 11. He speaks about being able to stand against the, quote, schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Now, the word schemes in the Greek, again, very important word. The word is methodia. It's the methodia of the devil. You hear the word the methods or the methodology. That the devil has various strategies that he uses. The devil has an arsenal that he pulls from. It's a myriad of ways, all sorts of attacks. By the way, the word the devil... Uh, even when I say that, some of you, it's almost like a, a funny word. Oh, you believe in the devil? You know, forget about the guy with the red suit and the pitchfork and the little horns and all of that, that, that comic kind of idea. 
If you struggle to believe in the devil, I understand that. I'm, I live in the 21st century America as well. I talk to people, I say, do you believe in God? Oh yeah, I believe in God, an uncaused, first cause, creator, designer of all things, the source of all life. That makes sense. I say, well, look, if you can believe in a supernatural being that is loving and benevolent, why is it so logically difficult to believe in a supernatural being that is evil and malevolent? The schemes, the methodology, the strategies, the arsenal that the devil has. Now, what does the word the devil mean? Again, it almost sounds like a comical word, the devil. Devil comes from a Greek word, a Greek verb. This is the noun form, and the Greek verb means to lie, to deceive, or even maybe more specifically, to accuse. So the devil, it simply means the liar, the deceiver, the accuser. And this is the way the devil, the liar, actually works. It's through lies. It's through deception. Really in two broad categories. The, the ways that the lies of the devil manifest itself, it's usually through temptation or through accusation. Through temptation or accusation. Now, I don't have time today to go through all the various ways that this occurs. And this doesn't come from me. This is from theologians from a couple of hundred years ago, far wiser than myself. But what are some of the ways that the devil will lie to you and tempt you? Here's just a couple. One of the tactics is he'll show you the bait and hide the hook. In other words, he will show you and present to you the short-term pleasure that might come, but is going to hide from you the long-term misery and destruction that it will bring into your life, and even eternally into your life. He shows the bait, but he hides the hook. And some of you are going, yep. Another way that the devil lies and tempts us is to have us focus on the sins of Christian leaders. We say, ha, oh, that's a Christian leader. I'm not as bad as they are. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. We just did a series on King David, and you know the story of King David and Bathsheba, and there's adultery and there's murder. And I guarantee you there were some of you who heard the story of King David and his sin. You would say, ha, oh, if he was still in the club and God loved him with all that he did, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That is a lie from hell itself. Or you can have you focus on what we might call cheap grace, where some of you will actually think to yourself, look, I know that I'm going to be forgiven, so I'm going to do this anyway. That's cheap grace. Or in the midst of suffering, the lie of Satan, the temptation, to believe that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you and where is God and you can start to have resentment and anger and bitterness and some of you can even think to yourself, we can think to ourselves, well, I deserve this. Nobody knows what I've gone through. Nobody knows how hard I work or nobody knows the suffering that I've endured. I deserve this. These are all the ways, just some of the ways that the devil lies and tempts us. That's temptation, but there's also accusation 
where the devil will come to you and lie to you and have you focus so much of your sin and you can hardly see your Savior. Yes, we should think less of ourselves, but we should not think less of the Son of God who suffered and died for you. His love and His forgiveness goes on forever. Or for some, the accusation can be to have you obsess over a past sin that you can do nothing about. A past sin and the hurt and the damage that it has caused and you can do nothing about it and you're so obsessed with it you still are thinking about it and can't see that you're loved and forgiven. But for some, maybe, especially as Lutherans, you know we're saved by grace alone, faith alone. It's all the work of God. And so you've got this sin in your life that you hate and you pray and you pray and you cry out to God and you hate the sin and you ask for God's help and you still commit this same sin and you begin to can even doubt God. It's not just accusing you, but it's accusing God. Where are you, God? Are you even there? And that's despair. These are just a few of the ways. I could go over here, I could open up this piano, and I could sing into the piano, and whatever particular chord that I was singing, there would actually be a string in the piano that would start to vibrate. This is what the devil does. He knows you so well. He knows exactly how to attack you. And it might be one thing on one day, and it might be something else another day or the next year. The schemes. Paul doesn't want to leave us here in despair. Of course, he wants us to know we have hope, that we have a resource. And this is why he, in verse 13 and following, speaks of putting on what? The full armor of God. And what is this armor? He talks about in verse 14, the belt of truth. That's what holds everything together. How do we combat the lies of the devil? It's with the truth of God and His Word. He speaks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We have to put that on. The image here is of a Roman centurion. Maybe you've seen those images. This beautiful breastplate. It's got the abs all kind of already chiseled in there. It hides the flab. It makes you look good and shiny. See, this is our identity that we have to put on every day to remind ourselves who we are. The devil will call you by your sin, but God the Father calls you by your name. And he says, you are my beloved son and daughter, and you are the righteousness of Christ himself. You have to put that identity on every day. And it says that he gives us shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What are these shoes of the feet? That's kind of the strangest one. Well, it's the shoes of what was called the evangelist, the one who would run and bring good news. If there was a warfare, if the enemy had been defeated and your army had been victorious, you would send that evangelist with those shoes to run into the city and say, good news, the enemy has been defeated and victory is ours. And it's that proclamation. It's Making it aloud and a great way to ward off the lies of Satan is to share the good news we have with someone else and even share it and say it aloud to ourselves and to sing it and to yell it and to write it, to work it down deep into our hearts. He says, in all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith and all circumstances, especially in the trials and in the sufferings of life, 
where the lies of Satan, of the devil, will become so much louder. And it's in those moments that shield of faith, those fiery darts of the lies of the devil, and you, in that, those moments where you might think, God has left me, and God has deserted me, and where are you, God, and why are you allowing this to happen to me? But the shield of faith comes up and says, no, despite all the evidence to the contrary in my life, I still believe and know that God loves me, and that God is working through all of these things. And how can we believe that? Because we have the helmet of salvation. Salvation comes only through the cross of the Son of God, Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that God himself offered himself as the sacrifice, God bleeding and dying for you on the cross. That's the helmet of salvation that we put where? On our heads. We have to put it into our minds and into our brains. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes and shine through the gloom and point me to the sky. And finally, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, which is living and active and powerful. Powerful. Putting on the full armor of God. How do we know that this will work? How do we know that we will stand? because we have an enemy. But that enemy has already been defeated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ and He's working all things for the sake and for the good of His people, for the church. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He doesn't say be strong in yourself and summon up the strength of yourself. It's the strength of the Lord. We have an enemy, but that enemy has already been defeated. Isn't that pathetic? Poor Satan, poor devil. Ha! And so finally, in conclusion, I have to give you a warning. If you're putting on that full armor of God and you're in the Word and you're in prayer and we're doing this together and we're knowing and sharing, this will change you. In fact, Christ will actually use the struggle. It's what Luther called in the German, the Anfechtung. It's what he called in the Latin, the Tentatio. He will actually use this to do the exact opposite of what Satan wants. He actually uses it to strengthen your faith. There are so many of you who know that to be true. It actually strengthens you and draws you even closer to Jesus Christ. But it will change you. You'll have new priorities. You'll have a new lens by which you see life. Again, look at Paul here in verse 19. Where is Paul? Verse 19. Where is he when he writes this letter? He's in prison. He's under house arrest in the city of Rome, and he's actually chained morning, noon, and night to a Roman centurion. Huh, I wonder where he got all that uh, armor imagery. He's sitting there chained for years, morning, noon, and night, to a Roman centurion. He looks at all that impressive armor. He says, I have pretty impressive armor too. But if you are in prison, 
chained to a Roman centurion, you can't go where you... If you were in prison, what would you pray for? You pray to get out of prison. Paul has a prayer request here at the very end of this letter, verse 19 and 20. He says this, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul doesn't pray for freedom. He prays for what? Boldness. Paul has a new set of eyes. He's got new priorities. He has a lens and he sees though he is in prison, he says, what an opportunity for the kingdom of God. What an opportunity to share the good news. Oh, help me to be bolder. Help me to be bolder. Do you really want to become like Paul? You know, we had a gentleman, an older gentleman of this congregation. This was before COVID, uh, but he was out walking around in his neighborhood and he fell. It was about twilight and he fell uh, blocks from his house. He's there on the side of the road in someone's yard and it's dark. It's a true story. And finally, some neighbors found him and they picked him up and they were helping him to go home. And what was his first thought? He said, wonderful. Now I can tell them about Jesus. And he told them about how he had prayed for someone to help him and how Jesus was with him and that Jesus was using them and all the ways that Jesus had worked in his life. All he had was a new priority and a new lens over his eyes. And one more little story. My wife, Leah, who's not an emotional person. She is a robot. She is not an emotional lady. She, I'm the one who watches the, the movies and I've got tears coming down my eyes and she's like, She's not an emotional person, but you know, this was a particular season, this was several years ago now, a particular season in her life, just really breathing in the spirit right through the word. This can make you, just a warning, make you more sensitive, spiritually sensitive. We were in the mall off of County Line Road there. We're walking in the mall, and I think Amelia was still in a stroller and I turn and she has tears in her eyes and tears coming down her cheeks. She's crying. I say, Leah, why are you crying? And she said, I'm just looking at all of these people who do not know that they are loved by Jesus. And they're lost. This will change you. This will shape you. New lens, new priorities. Do you believe that God can, as Paul says, as God himself says, that he can do far more abundantly, immeasurably more than all we can ask of him or we can even imagine that he can do for us, in us spiritually as we join together as a family on our mission of what? Helping ordinary people to know and to share this extraordinary life. We have in the living Jesus Christ. To him alone be all the glory. Amen.